We take a single episode of a science fiction TV series and overanalyze it to within an inch of its life. This is the Fusion Patrol Podcast. Welcome to the discussion. Hello and welcome to another episode of Fusion Patrol. I'm Eugene. And I'm Ben. And tonight we're looking at the Battlestar Galactica episode, Greetings from Earth. On long-range forward patrol, Apollo and Starbuck encounter a strange, unresponsive spacecraft of unfamiliar design. Their scanners indicate life inside, and they bring it back to the Galactica. Inside, six humans in suspended animation. The technology and symbology all indicate that this is not some far-flung outpost of the Twelve Colonies, but humans from a completely different lineage. Could they be from Earth? If only you could ask them. But being suspended, they are poor conversationalists. Debates about what should be done with them spring up all around the fleet, with Dr. Salik and Dr. Wilker attempting to revive the sleepers, with a possible risk of their lives. Apollo becomes increasingly adamant that they must put them back on their ship and back on course to let them go. Adama, loath to let their first possible contact to Earth go away, is reluctant but sympathetic. No matter, though, the Council of the Twelve take the decision from him and order the sleepers to be awoken. Before that happens, two of them, Michael and Sarah, awaken. But then Michael attempts to leave the ship. The crushing, oppressive atmosphere of the Galactica begins to kill him. Realizing that these people will spend the rest of their lives inside decompression chambers if they don't just die, Salik and Apollo hatch a plan to get them back on course and follow them to their destination, the planet Paradine. Paradine is one of the colony planets of the planet Terra, a colony of the Western Alliance. It is also the home of Sarah's father. Sarah and her children, with the help of Michael and his child, escape the colony of Lunar 7 with a promise of living on Paradine with Sarah's father. Paradine, however, has been destroyed by the Eastern Alliance, leaving only a few scattered families on an abandoned world. When they arrive, with Apollo, Starbuck, and Cassiopeia in tow, they learn that Sarah's father is dead. Their flight from Lunar 7 did not go unnoticed. Neither did the ship's escort by the two Vipers. An Eastern Alliance destroyer heads to Paradine to investigate. While Starbuck gets lost in the airless basements of a dead city, Sarah destroys the Vipers so that Apollo will stay with her because she's seen the way he looks at her. They find Starbuck moments before it's too late. The Eastern Alliance baddies are incompetent baddies, as they are easily overcome by the Colonial Warriors, and they escape Paradine, taking the Eastern Alliance destroyer and crew back to the Galactica. The end. Greetings from Earth. I am so, so happy to have two normal people's names in this show. Michael and Sarah? Michael and Sarah. I what think about that's... Hector and Vector? Yeah, well, they're... they're... Cylons in the making. Um, well, you know, it's it's kind of like uh, and charity. They name one of the kids at least. Um, it, it it actually feels truly alien when they pop up with those names on the show to me. It's a nice touch that that they just fling out. You know, it's it all of the names Apollo and Starbuck and Cassiopeia and all those things do have some resonance with us, but they resonate like mythological names or and and when you get to Sarah Mike it's very grounded and very very down to earth if you pardon the, the pun but I I thought that was a very effective um I thought that was a very effective dodge as well as uh you know minutes and seconds and and hours and days and things like that uh that 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 they threw in the mix to uh to make us wonder are they from earth mm-hmm. so what do you think of the episode the long long episode 
Disappointed as usual. Thank you for listening, friends. Tune in next week. Disappointed because it's got an awful lot of filler in it. Or or just... I mean, I, I thought there was some interesting ideas here. This is a Glenn Larson. And uh, it missed the mark on so many ways. Okay. Uh, what What were your disappointments then? All of it! Okay, specifically the all of it. I mean... All of it. Every single bit. I did not like this episode. It felt stupid. Do you think Terra is Earth? I have no idea, and I personally couldn't care. But I doubt it. Only because it just seems way too easy for the Galactica to have... I mean, we have no idea how long they've been in space. Sectons. Sectons, yeah, how, that doesn't help. <laughs> I know it doesn't. But Boxy hasn't aged that much. This so they true. couldn't have been in space that long, traveling between galaxies, despite the fact what they may have said in past episodes. So the idea that uh, Earth being the long-lost colony from God... You know, it, the way Adama paints that image early on and the way we hear it makes it sound like that Earth is way the heck out. And that just seems like, okay, yeah, they've had to travel a bit, a little further than what they used to have to do, but it's still just a jaunt around the corner. There, is, I'll, I'll, I'll grant you that. There is that. And, and you raise a very good point with regards to Boxy. Because uh, taking a show like Space 1999, uh, I feel like there should be a rim shot there. Take my Space 1999, please. Mm. But, um, you know, they at least give us 2,748 days after leaving Earth's orbit. There is demonstrably a passing of time mm -hmm. going on there. Maybe it should be longer. Well, yes, considering the way the moon is moving, but but notwithstanding. In other words, there are hundreds of days between events on Space 1999, sometimes. Sometimes mm -hmm. several hundred days between episodes of Space 1999. And because everyone is an adult, it's plausible that we're not going to notice any significant changes in the personnel's appearance over the course of, you know, 10 years. But you would notice it with a kid. But with Boxy, man, he should be sprouting up so you're right he's physiologically the same age it's been a few months that they've been in space at most there and a, an, another mistake for having boxy on the show although i'm sure mm -hmm. they didn't think of it in those terms i mean they didn't think of it in terms of well people will now know how long they've been in space but i mean yeah no, they, it, they, it does they, it, it was does. never a consideration and i think well but i think what it does is you know i never thought of it it never occurred to me your your point is exactly on target and i wonder if subconsciously you i watched the show and because boxy doesn't change your brain naturally reconciles it to a shorter period of time you know what i mean it's mm -hmm. like because you don't have anything else to grab onto sectons and centauris and and microns and and all those things don't don't mean anything so the only thing you can grab onto is what you physically see happening and nothing's happening including growth of the child so yeah i can uh, i mean it's it's i there's there's the possibility that they age at a much slower rate but i doubt it and you're right the only thing that we have to measure the passage of time is by watching these people age and at the ones that are going to age the most dramatically will be the kids 
it, it, it was never a consideration. You know, I, for whatever reason, I'm, I'm not even going to dare to guess why it wasn't a consideration, although it should have been. Okay. So we'll just finish up with Boxy and dispose of him here on this, because there's a couple things that did bring, come to mind while I was watching this episode. Um, and, and we can, we can use a Star Trek comparison on this as well. Uh, one of the things I always thought was kind of silly in Star Trek and, and, you know, I'll see how you feel about this. When they show the kids, you know, like the eight-year-olds in Star Trek classrooms, and they're mm-hmm. like, well, I'm having trouble with my trigonometry homework. Or, you know, the, the ten-year-olds are like, my quantum physics feels, it's like, are they so advanced? Are, you know, is it is it such a shorthand that they're trying to show us that, that adults are so much advanced that kids now have to be doing trigonometry in kindergarten? Right? It's kind of a stupid way of trying to show that that they're so much more advanced i don't know maybe you could teach a kid trigonometry in kindergarten but it it comes off as fake because kids are kids right but here we have on galactica i don't know how old boxy's supposed to be but man those kids in that classroom were thick as posts Mm -hmm. they were stupid well Well, compared to was that that class Something that you might see in uh, Next Generation, compared to the kids you might see in Next Generation, or, or any other iteration of Star Trek where there were children. Yeah, I feel these like galactic kids were pretty dumb. I feel like in comparison to, say, kids now at that age, it it I couldn't figure out what the class was supposed to be. Were they actually learning anything? It was really just a group of kids saying dumb things. Yeah, just repeating back what was on the screen. And Athena's a teacher now? I know, I was noticing that too. When did that happen? Well, we haven't seen her in a while, and then suddenly here she is giving teachy-ish talks. She doesn't really seem to be... I have to ask a question. So, what does it suspended mean? Ah! It, it just... And is it truly appropriate for a teacher that one of the kids says, My dad says that they could kill us all! Uh, Boxy, let's go find your father. We're gonna leave class. Kids... Read that passage on your screen again that was like, what, one sentence long? And mm-hmm. uh, we'll be back in a while. And then they go yeah, off discuss. to discuss. And then find the... Ugh, it was such a... It truly was an absolute waste of time. It was I, It was a waste of time. In fact, I noticed uh, in my notes, I even said that, that entire moment felt like the worst padding imaginable. You know what I think it was? Uh, we're going to have to explain this to the stupos in the audience. So how is the best way to explain it to a bunch of 20th century? I know. We'll teach it to some children. I mean, it, it, it was it was talking to the audience. It was. Really. And it was, it's talking down to the audience. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm remembering this is the Bonanza crowd. Quite mm. literally, this is the Bonanza crowd they think that's watching the, this program. So... Um, okay, so that's Boxy, and let's get him out of here. Okay, bye. Dumb that. <clears throat> Was that Spaceship Ranger 3 from Buck Rogers? Thank you! <laughs> I, I have this feeling like maybe Ranger 3's wings weren't turned up quite as much, or at all. But, but I, I have that exact same note. I have it written down, Oh, that looks like Buck Rogers' ship before being awakened in the 25th century. It's, it's a Glenn Lars. Now, this is first, though. It is, but still. You, you could tell that obviously this is we're now being we're being introduced to the seeds of uh, future recycling. Yeah. Well, I, fair. Well, okay. So, however, in their defense, it looks like a space shuttle. Yeah. Which was super high tech American technology at that time. Well, especially since, uh, yeah, I mean, we they had announced the Enterprise shuttle by then. Yeah, and we knew what it looked like. Right. I think the Enterprise had been in test flights. You know, the the glide uh, they had. Yeah, they had done the the glider 
and the landing testing. So anyone who looks at that would go, hey, that's an American spacecraft. Mm -hmm. Again, keeping with that, hey, let's make it look like Earth technology. So I think it's a clever... I think it's a clever design ignoring the buck rogers aspect of it a second but the fact that if they had to design a ship that they wanted people to think looked like a u.s spacecraft or look like something from earth that's a really good idea Just well especially make it look for like 1978 a space yeah, yeah. Or 1979 i think is when this aired yeah, yeah. i mean it's, it's a good move uh, i mean we're looking at it with future eyes shall we say yeah. so then that holds for ranger three as well a 1983 or 1987 spacecraft from earth from nasa I could see how people would think it would look similar to the space shuttle. So it's right. It's just, it's, it probably cost them some bucks to make that anyway, because it's got the landing bay and the wheels and everything. And, but, um, I, (laughs) yeah, you see that when you go, it's Buck Rogers. They found Buck. Mm -hmm. Yay. Yeah. I was, I was wondering if Buck was going to be asleep in there. No, it's only Michael. And he should be good at an emergency. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. It's Uh, Randolph Mantooth. Yeah. People listening in other countries, look up emergency. And, uh, or Randy Mandoff. Mantooth. Mm-hmm. Um, also, the Galacticans were remarkably stupid at, at, at many levels. Um, there's life forms on board. Yes, but they're minimal. But there's life forms on board and they're human. Yes, but there's no air in there. How can there be life forms on board if there's no air in there? I don't understand. Mm. Really? Do they not have suspension tubes? Yes, they do. Medical suspension they, tubes. Uh, they've they've they used understand. them. They've used it before. So yeah, it was very insulting on it, that that particular level. And and it felt like a lot of that was more padding. I really, I there are bits of this episode I really like. I like the the I like the notion of of these two cultures kind of bumping up against each other and. You know, finally somebody getting to say, hey, what's a centon? Yeah. You know, in the, in the course of the show. And, but I feel like they decided to stretch this into two hours when there wasn't a two hour episode here at, mm-hmm. at any, at any uh, measure of, um, and so they had to throw in a bunch of extra plots like the Council of the Twelve back to their stupid ways. Oh, you know, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. Now, this is, as you pointed out earlier, this is a Glenn Larson story. Now, Glenn Larson is he's, he's devout Mormon. Mm-hmm. The Council of the Twelve is supposed to be a parallel to the Quorum of the Twelve that guides the Mormon Church. Mm-hmm. So, with that in mind, does he hold the ruling body of the Mormon Church in utter contempt because his portrayal of the Council of Twelve is hardly flattering? No, at, at any time. The Council of Twelve is always a problem. They're always idiots. They are always a problem. In fact, Galactica is quite militaristic in many ways, because the only people who are of any value are the military. Yeah. Right? I mean, it's it's the they're the saviors, and they're the ones that keep things working, and uh, the civilian government is just a joke, and apparently the people elected jokes. Assuming We don't know how they elect a council, but um, they seem to be... They seem to be useless but but they give us some of the parts of this episode that i like but i don't want to we'll have to discuss apollo and adama first um what would you do if you were in command and you got this ship you're in adama's position and they find this ship and there's indications that it's from a non-colonial earth 
technology. What do you do? Do you open the do you open the tubes? Well, after thorough examination to the best of one's ability, yes. I'm going to I'm going to uh I'm going to agree, I think. I, you know, I I I tried to actually put myself in the moral dilemma there. And so what we're saying is that we're coming down on side of the evil or the idiot council of the 12 cuz that was their decision. Yeah, the it was. And it's supposed to be being portrayed as the wrong one, the wrong well, decision in this story. The in, in the case of the Council of the Twelve, it was all about the timing. They wanted it done immediately. And I would have taken, I would have agreed that yes, it does need to be opened, but let's be smart about this. Let's study this and make sure that what we're going to do is not going to kill them. Okay, so I agree. Which is why they threw in the whole bit about the power is draining off this system. They are going to die if we either stop, don't stop tampering or let them go. So, I mean, you don't have an infinite amount, infinite amount of time to do the, the thing. And I, I don't know, because I, like, I feel like Apollo is a little bit wrong. I did too, um, in the, especially and in the beginning. And yet he's supposed to be, obviously, the shining beacon of rightness. Morality. Yeah. And, he, and he's got everything he's got. He's got a point, right? Mm-hmm. Everything he says. I can't exactly argue with everything he says because, like, it's you can't risk one person's life without their consent to save others. Yeah, but there's... Or can you? I think, I think what's throwing... What throws me off and what might be throwing you off is there was something very dictatorial about his approach on that particular point. He was very... And we get that uh, when they're, they're all meeting. You know, there's there's Boomer, there's Starbuck, there's Athena, there's... Um, uh, oh, God, Sheba. I remember her name. It is. was Sheba. Uh, Sheba. And you got security guard Reese off in the background. And Apollo's being... You know, pardon, pardon my language. He's being a bit of a about his point. He Everybody was. else is kind of like being, you know, okay, I mean, they're all looking at it with shades of gray, and he's being like really black and white on the point. <laughs> That's a good point, because isn't it, isn't it uh, then Apollo who makes, and this is one of the things I liked about the episode, that there were a number of points that are made. There's a number of lines said, and one of them, and I don't have the exact words on it, but the measure of a society is... The, oh, the yeah, that, you do well, between the black that. and no. Apollo said it. Apollo said it to Starbuck right after Apollo had been taking the absolutist position. Starbuck was taking the other, and then suddenly, and 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 Starbuck is saying, "Well, no, it's a little more gray than that, buddy." And Apollo says, "It's how we deal with things that are in the gray area that represent that represent the morality of our society, or whatever it was that he that he said." And it's a great line if it weren't backed up by the fact that what he's what he's actually saying is how we deal with those gray areas by making them black and white my way is mm-hmm. what shows us as being right it is it is kind of it's kind of a two-faced it is position yeah. there it's a I fantastic could, line and i plan it is to fan, use it, it someday is but line. it's not in yeah, that context exactly it is a great line I, I liked it a great deal i just didn't like it coming from him uh under that particular context because it didn't feel it didn't feel genuine. He is he's is way too it feels like there's a scene missing. 
in this episode, and which, you know, considering how many extra, extra scenes there are, it shocks me. But Apollo goes from, hey, let's bring this ship in and take a look, to barging into the, the staff lounge and saying, we got to let these people go without anything, without any turn on the dime. Mm-hmm. At any point, do we see any misgiving? We don't see any misgivings. Maybe we shouldn't bring this ship in. I mean, it's not our ship, and they're not putting out a distress signal. We should do it. I, 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 I found that a little bit weird. And another thing that I found very strange about this episode is who is supposed to be the moral leader of this series? I would imagine it's split pretty much between Adama and Apollo. Should be Ap- Adama. I mean... Yes, Apollo should have taken on his father's ideals, but Adama should have those same ideals and have the wisdom of age. And yet, it's Apollo who has to convince Adama that the right thing to do is the right thing to do. Because mm. Adama's yeah. like, you expect me to just throw away what might be our first contact with Earth? That's the expedient view. That's the, hey, this is good for us. We have to keep this ship and as opposed to we have to do what's right by these other people. And I found that a very awkward, uh, I, I found that a very awkward dynamic in this episode. It usually isn't quite like that. It's it's cool for Adama to be proud of his son mm-hmm. to, to, to take the right position. But at the same time, normally Adama is already, already at that position and doesn't need to be convinced of it. Which, again, I, I don't, I don't quite understand why they worked that dynamic into the story, but but there you go. But there was something so very, uh, and, and I think you're right. I think there is something missing in the scenes here because Apollo does do this about face that is really drastic. We don't see any transition in his thought process. We don't see why he arrived at this new particular point of view. He was all gung-ho initially about let's bring this ship on board. This thing could really help us. I mean, he was being as, you know, as as excited about it as everybody else was on the ships, you know, and and throughout the entire fleet. So that's why I have such a really hard time with his particular point of view, because now he's almost like taking on the position that we never should have picked it up. Mm -hmm. He is kind of taking that position. And you know what scene I think would have, and this is, I'm going to hate saying this, but I'm going to say it out loud. What probably would have been a good way to convey that change is if it had been something that Boxy had said. Not, not in the, hey, Dad, you told me that we should be doing this kind of thing, but just something that Boxy said, you know, out of the mouth of babes. Right, something just... That, just, just, that clicks. Whatever. And then suddenly Apollo sees, you know, you know something, Boxy? We don't have the right to do that, do we? And then off he goes suddenly on his on his tear because it would that... have to be a very profound statement in order to i mean something that really spells it out yet obviously with that youthful innocence in order to make that kind of line work because uh, otherwise anything else would have felt completely false won't their friends miss them dad if they don't show up da, 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 or something you know anything that would just that would get apollo looking at it from their point of view that's all he needs to do, right? Is he needs to shift from what's good from the Galactica to what's good, you know, what's, how do you serve your fellow man? Or how, how do you empathize with their plight? And all that's all it took 
would have taken? Was this something to trigger that? Uh, could have been anyone saying it to him, but I think having it come from the kid, because the kid can say something innocently without necessarily coming to the position themselves. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. I mean, if somebody else had said it to him, then they would go, in fact, come to think of it, Apollo, I think we should set this ship free. Whereas Boxy could say something that would just trigger it. And then, you know, and then you go, can I have some mushies? And and yeah. you know, run on. Um, so, <clears throat> yeah. Also, um, Doctor Salik, Doctor Wilker, do you have, do you have, do you have any feelings over the course of the series so far about whether you like, dislike, uh, empathize, don't empathize with one or both of those two doctors? Mm-hmm. Well, um, I don't feel anything. See, I've always kind of liked Doctor Wilker. Now that's George Murdoch's character, isn't it? No, 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 no. Doctor Wilker is the the skinny thi- scientist. Oh, well, he did do one cool thing. I he was, you know, and, and I'm going to hate myself for saying this, but it's the scene in the pilot where he makes Muffet too. Right. And there's something really cool about that. I got to admit, he he's very sympathetic. He, he right. He's nice. He's enthusiastic about his work when we see him, and he's always taking a very rationalist point of view or he has been you know like when ebly uh did something to cause the ship the plants to grow right the Mm -hmm. the florist is all like it's a miracle and dr wilker's like obviously they've been exposed to some form of external radiation right i've always been very sympathetic with the character of wilker now dr salig george murdoch Oh, he's just a cranky He's SOB. a cranky old guy, and I don't yeah. like him. I mean, no. he obviously is a good doctor, and he obviously does care for the patients in his own cranky way, but he just rubs me the wrong way whenever he's on the screen. Well, and to be honest... If you don't stop knocking his ship around, this man's gonna die, so stop it! Smack, 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 he you know? Is, he's like that... In every role I have ever seen him. Yeah, but I've never seen him as a doctor before. Doesn't He's usually matter, a though. journal, a general, or a bad guy. Yeah, but I, <laughs> but every time I've seen him in any kind of role, he just comes off as this curmudgeon. Yeah, 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 he does. And it's a weird bit of casting. And so the two of them feel like they're playing wrong in this episode because he's still just the curmudgeon-y... Uh, guy and yet at the same time he's you know you're gonna kill these people and not on my watch and i'm gonna you know you gotta go find yourself another doctor and uh and you can't be tampering with these units and and you'll kill them and da 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 he's all he's saying all the things that you should be saying true the president and yet he's doing it in such a way that i just don't like him and at the same time dr wilker is trying to do his job and i'm sure dr wilker is not trying to kill these people right but he's taking the sort of pragmatic well i'm a scientist i can work this out sure we can do this thing uh, and we're gonna go and yes they're having some problems and they don't know exactly what's going on and he's fully and freely admitting it right but what else what else can he do but because they've set them up as, as these two characters who one I kind of like and one I don't like and yet they've put them in the they've put them in the positions of being opposed to doing the right thing and doing the wrong thing I, it doesn't play well it, it it doesn't play well I could totally see if they'd reverse those actors I would totally buy this you know if they'd each been playing different the different part but with the actors and with the way they present in this it comes off wrong and mm-hmm. and I, I feel like 
Wilker's right. Of course, we agree. Wilker, they should try to revive these people. Yeah. Um, maybe, maybe. I'm, I'm willing to grant Apollo a little bit of, a little bit of leeway there. I mean, yeah, I suppose you take a ship out of space. That's piracy. It wasn't yeah. transmitting a distress signal. That's true. And the people, and once it was clear that the people on board were intentionally in the way that they were, it's piracy. And if there's no indication that the ship, that they were going to immediately die, that they were still technically safe, although, of course, there's no way for them to know it until they did hijack the ship. Right. Um, But if, yeah, if there's no indication that, that, that anything is wrong with them, then, yeah, they should, the ship should have been let go. I, I can see that point. So, uh, you know, if I've been a derelict, then it's legitimate salvage. But, but the moment you find people on board who are in command of their own ship in, in some way, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's dicey. I wonder what would have happened if Michael and Sarah hadn't woken up mm-hmm. and how that would have played out differently. Because, Good question. Because then everyone is still going to be in the, well, hey, you know, they'll be fine. You know, we'll wake them up. They'll be fine. But, you know, once they woke up and we found out they can't be, they can't be fine, then, then, um, then that does add some urgency to it. It's like, well, then we need to leave, let these people go. I mean, it just absolutely uh, moral. It, it becomes a moral imperative when they wake up mm-hmm. to let them go. It's like you can't, you can't keep those in, de- in decompression chambers. That, that's inhuman. Oh, absolutely. And so then there is the line where, and I might have written it down. Oh, yes, there it is. So when Dr. Salik refuses the Council of Twelve, he said, well, then you gentlemen have another problem, finding another doctor mm-hmm. to wake those people up. And, uh, and then Adama has his line. It's like, you've got to do something about that. I intend to have a long talk with him because he has provided me one of the proudest moments of my life. Something marvelous has happened here, gentlemen. Do not let it pass unnoticed. I don't understand what I'm saying. He has reaffirmed that we are a race worth saving. That is an interesting... It's, again, I love it. It's a fabulous line. Mm-hmm. It, it's a fabulous line. Especially when you're talking to the, the boobalicious, incompetent council of the Twelve. Yeah. Right? But if Adama doesn't think... You, you have to be a little cynical to make that line, right? You have to, you have to say... If, you, if you're feeling that your faith has been restored, then yes, you have to have a cynical point of view at that before it is spoken. So does that mean that basically he thought, well, you know, why am I bothering to lead this fleet of people? And in some ways, why is he bothering to lead this fleet of people? I mean, they are willing to dump him at every turn. Um, you know, some guy comes along and says, I'll give you a bit of food. Woohoo, we'll follow you, Count Ebley. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, uh, they they don't appreciate what he does for them. They don't appreciate the protection. They don't appreciate the leadership. They don't they don't respect him. No, they don't. And the decisions that they make, not just the council but the people, are decisions that he shouldn't respect. They're they're the decisions of idiots. And you know, the Galactica could do a whole hell of a lot better by itself without the fleet. That's true. It could. I mean, and the only reason it's and, and this is the other point that I, I was kind of hinting at in terms of, you know, their their search for Earth. Because this is something that I was reminded of. Um, the Galactica can only go as fast as its slowest ship. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of just, you know, near derelict ships that are probably just crawling. One, one would almost say ragtag. Yeah. So it has to be going really slow. So to take this back, 
um, with everything that that poor Adama had has uh, yeah, the, Adama could just say you know to hell with all of you guys, I'm off, and then just, just dart across you know space. You know they could get wherever the heck they want in record time, and 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 Adama would certainly have no headache at that point with the politicians. But the problem is Adama is one of those people. He's a moralist. He's a moralist. You can't just leave those civilians behind, no matter how stupid they are. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's a little bit, and it does, and your point does raise another terrible, terrible question. Why couldn't, I mean, I know it's all about reinforcements, right? But why couldn't the Cylons get 12, 13, 14 base stars out there? They're battleships, presumably comparable to the Galactica in speed. They're not hauling a fleet. Why couldn't Baltar get a whole fleet of base stars to come out there and take them on? Oh, they can beat us three to one? Okay, we have 12 base stars. Mm-hmm. And keep in mind that the Galactica will be mostly playing defense. Yep. As opposed to offense. And all I have to do is to pick off a whole bunch of the little ships anyway. I mean, they're trying, right. to eliminate, they're trying to eliminate humans. So destroying so that's a, the civilian easy targets ships is just easy as effective targets. a target as, as the Galactica. Yep. So, uh, yeah, another stupid bit to the, the, the way that they structure the show but we did hear the mention haven't seen cylons for quite some time now no and there has been that um there was a discussion or something in the logs about why we haven't decided to settle on one of those planets which is a question we've asked along the way much the same they were not technologically advanced enough apparently or they you know thought well, yeah, none of them are technologically advanced enough. They're little colony worlds, but they're all habitable. They could have put people down on them. Yeah. and uh, But they wouldn't be able to defend themselves in case of a Cylon attack. And still can't. So when the Cylons come along to those planets that have human colonies on them, settlements, they're dead. So Galactica is leaving those people to die on the way. Because mm-hmm. they've, they've brought them there. Assuming the Cylons are following them, then they're bringing the Cylons to these planets, and the Cylons will wipe them out, and then off, off they go. Um, my understanding is that from a from a behind the scenes standpoint, they were running out of Cylon costumes, and they I've felt heard that they felt that really it wasn't as interesting a conflict as maybe they'd hoped, and so we'll just phase the Cylons out largely, um, and and concentrate on other storylines and i do appreciate the you know the the space angels and i kind of see this as a continuation of the space angels line because they led them here right it's all part of the path they were sent on yes it's all part of the plan so this is this is technically this is obviously a mythos episode it wouldn't be a two-hour episode um if it hadn't intended to be a big deal Mm -hmm. okay so the ship is escaping from a place called lunar seven which sounds like an eastern alliance Prison stronghold? Um, stronghold? Uh, at least, at, at least a, a stronghold. Because they have to escape from Lunar 7. And he mentions mm-hmm. how awful Lunar 7 is. So you kind of get the impression that Lunar 7 is run by the Eastern Alliance. Mm-hmm. That seem reasonable? Yeah. Um, but obviously Michael and Sarah are Western Alliance people. Right. Paradine was a Western Alliance planet? Apparently it was at one time. And, and then the, the Eastern, Eastern Alliance, Alliance got in there and bombed it out of life. Yeah. Basically. Okay. Both Lunar 7 and Paradine are one-fifth Terra or Caprica atmosphere. Now, this is what causes Michael and Sarah to be unable to breathe on the Galactica. Uh, and it also gives us that moment in 
Baxi's classroom where they're talking about how adaptable human beings can be because their whole mm-hmm. lesson for the entire day is one sentence about humans being adaptable. And uh, <laughs> I want you to read what's on the screen, children. Mm-hmm. Humans can adapt a bunch. Okay, what does that mean? It means humans can adapt a bunch. Very good. You go to the front of the class, but next time, click on the little light thingy. Don't raise your hand like they do on Earth. That's bad. Um, so the people from Lunar 7, the people from Paradine, cannot live in the galactic environment. Do you buy off on the, oh, we're used to being in low atmosphere for short periods of time. Starbuck and Apollo and Cassiopeia and I will be just fine on their planet. Well... As a line, I... No, not entirely. Uh, And then the way they actually go about it, especially no. I mean, there are so many things that are wrong with that. Uh, Like one moment that just bugged the snot out of me is they land on Paradine... They, you know, Michael and Sarah have taken the kids. They're they're now at the farm, if you want to call it that. And what do I see Cassiopeia doing? Oh, she is running and playing with the kids. And I'm like, okay, woman, you should have fallen flat on your face within five seconds of that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm just going to say here, looking it up, you can hear me typing away on the computer, that uh, at the base camp in Nepal... On the way up to Everest. So Which is 5,260 like 50, meters. Really thin air. 53%. Right. So these guys were at 20. 20%. There's no way they could have done it. <laughs> 20%. Um, well, let's see. Here's a, a paper on high altitude people from the Andes, which is what I was actually looking for, because there's a group of people that live... Um, that live up in the Andes at uh, 8,000 feet, 2,500 meters. Wow. Yeah, so even that would be much lower, but nowhere near as low as the base camp. No. I mean, that's, that's, yeah. And you, you know, at those kind of altitudes, you're going to get out, al- or not altitudes, but air pressures, you're going to get altitude sickness, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, headaches, potentially life threatening. Well, at 20%, you're dead. It just, oh, yeah. uh, you know, it's just ridiculous. That's just I ridiculous. I mean, you're, 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 you're close to hitting vacuum. Um, so I, I wish they'd done something a little like half. Half would have been good. Half would have been enough, I think. Yeah, yeah. it would have, it would have sufficed. They just Googled that before they wrote this story in 1970. Oh, gee, it's a pity that, <laughs> yeah, how stupid of them. So I, I felt that was very, uh, it's just very awkward. It's just very awkward in the way that they tried to accomplish it. I, they had to come up with a way that they couldn't merge the people together, but, eh, you know, they had bugs and they had all sorts of stuff that it could have been. Mm-hmm. Um, no, that's not. On, so, ignoring the fact that they would not have been able to function on Paradine for nearly as long as they did, or running around and playing, or jumping off roofs and, uh, etc., it's, it's not till we get to Paradine. Because in the first half of this story, on the Galactica, we really don't have much interaction with Michael and Sarah. Right. Very little. They, they, they talk very little. They'll give us cryptic answers. We get then, a little bit while they're still on... Uh, ooh, Eastern Alliance. From Michael. We get a little bit of Michael before they take off on the ship. But yeah, it's, it's all when they're on Paradine that we finally really have a conversation with them. Yeah. Um... Oh, yeah, here's one that's just kind of interesting. When they were on the ship heading to Paradine and Cassiopeia's on the ship, which, by the way, I might add... Oh, God, are you... Let's hear it. You know what it's going to be, right? What what, it, what does the ship do in automatic mode? Well, it usually, like, um, life support system, you know... No air. No air, exactly. <laughs> there should have been no air in the in Well, the let, let's take this just a little bit further. Okay, so, they have no idea 
how far right the ship was before it was supposed to reach Paradine. Uh-huh. No clue whatsoever. Uh-huh. You got Cassiopeia inside the shuttle. You've got Apollo and Starbuck each in their own Vipers. Yep. And they're each going to be alternating on sleep cycles. What if this ship's journey is still years away? The family has the life support tubes to sustain them. But what about Cassiopeia? What about Apollo and Starbuck? This premise smacks of desperation. Actually, less of desperation, more pure stupidity. Pure stupidity, and and they did throw in a line to try to make it plausible. Well, it was running out of power, so I think maybe it must be pretty close to its destination. That's lame. It is lame, but they did. Well, at that point, why even put them back to sleep? Good point. Because there's no oxygen inside the uh, ship. I mean, they're going to die. Ah, <laughs> They're going to die with Cassiopeia. But here's the funny part. If that were true, (laughs) two aspects of it. One, Mm -hmm. why is Cassiopeia shocked and and totally befuffled by the idea, as are Apollo and Starbuck, of a computer talking, which we saw in the last episode? I know. And why would the computer talk if there's not normally any atmosphere Mm. on the ship? And, and would it talk? Oh, there's a completely different one. If, if your computer is communicating via radio to another location and you were a computer programmer, would you program it so that the computer talks so that a microphone can pick up the sound? Or would you program it so that the computer just sends the electronic That's what I data that would be the sounds without mm-hmm. having to convert it to sound to convert it back to electronics? Right. Yeah, it just wouldn't have been a direct um, electronic uh, communication. Well, well it's, a, it's a recording or it's a computer recording. This is like a cassette tape. You, you either play it out the speaker or you run it down the wires to the transmitter. Mm-hmm. Why not just run it out the wire to the transmitters? Um, yeah. <laughs> that one also. And let's, we're not even going to discuss, you know, okay, um, matters of food. Ooh, I hope nobody has to go to the bathroom. You see, we're back to my elevator terror. Because the, even Starbuck asks the question, how long is this going to take? I actually, you know, now that you, you mentioned it, yeah, he does ask the question and it's the right one. And they say, well, it's going to be a short period of time. But not even this. They were on long patrol, right? Yeah. And I think they said that Starbuck had been sleeping for uh, six centaurs. Okay. So we know microns and centons are, are like seconds and minutes. And apparently, Roughly. I'm guessing centaurs are hours because it's, okay. it's unlikely that Starbucks been sleeping for six days or six minutes, right? So you've been in sleep period for six centaurs. That makes that's that's reasonable. That's a reasonable length of time to be napping. Mm. So they're on this patrol. They've been flying for six hours in World War II and possibly even now. Fighter jets, fighter planes have what's called a relief tube. Oh yes, which is a bit like a roll-on condom for mm-hmm. peeing in. There is no facility, to my knowledge, for taking a crap. No. On a fighter plane. You, 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 don't, you don't get to do that unless nope. they put on nappies, which, you know, like they did in NASA uh, for the Apollo missions. You're wearing diapers. And uh, true. <clears throat> these long range patrols seem like they ought to come up with that problem, too. Oh, that's right up there with saying, you know, how come we really haven't seen a toilet in Star Trek? But in Galactica, we have. They called it a turbo flush. I don't even remember it. I, we didn't see it, but they, they definitely called a toilet a turbo flush at some point. That's their oh. term for it. So they do, they do have them. 
But yes, all these people arrive on the planet, <laughs> ignoring the logistics of that, and they arrive at the quote unquote landmass up ahead. Yeah. Is the yeah. line. It, well, it's a landmass out in it's space. It's a landmass up ahead. It's coming from that landmass up ahead. Do you mean planet Starbuck? Oh, yeah, I guess so. It's uh, here in this galaxy. Um, they get to Paradine. It's a lovely place. Looks just like, I don't know, Southern California? Yeah. Yeah, it's Southern California. Until I go to the city. It has, well, it looks like California too, in places. Well, uh, well, actually, it's funny you mentioned that. I got a big kick. Uh, I, now, granted, I had not seen this episode since it first aired. Oh, really? So there were many details that I forgot, and I was totally amused, being that uh, I, I very, pretty much recognize that that's you know the, the more wilderness area of the Universal Studios backlot. Yeah. And if you look very carefully with very eagle eyes, there's one sort of a long shot uh-huh. with an elevated camera. Uh-huh. And uh, you can peer through the the trees, and you can see beautiful downtown Burbank. I was gonna say there's a, there's a couple scenes there where you can see it's very smoggy. It is in but the distance, you and a, you can kind of you can like, make up Burbank. I can see some. I can see what looks to be buildings behind the haze. Uh, yeah. yeah, and I thought when we learned that, um, I guess it's Hector who takes. Starbucks the in, young one, yes. Yeah, Hector's the star. Uh, when he takes uh, Starbuck into the city, I thought, oh, well, we're gonna be, we're gonna be seeing more of the Universal backlot. No, they went to an old abandoned expo. Yeah, I was wondering about that uh, dome. Yeah, it was an old world's fair. Uh, obviously, that's been torn down by now. Oh, by now, yes. But I have heard many stories about how you know th- there was there was a time where it was always thought you know a World's Fair would come in, they build and all you know all this wonderful construction take place, and and there'll be all this great use for it after it's over. And every single time, it turns into a ghost town, like the Millennium Dome. Oh, ah, <laughs> uh-huh. yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I I knew. Well, it's obviously it was California, and it it was. You know, it looked like they were picking the most futuristic-looking, spacey buildings they could, but at some time you could tell it was a ruin as well. And not just a ruin because it had been bombed by neutron bombs, but ruin because it was an abandoned ruin right? in places. So, um, <sighs> let's see. Let, let's, take the, let's take the city first. Starbuck goes to the city. He goes with Vector, which, I will say this, you've made two android robots, Hector and Vector, it does not sound right saying Vector and Hector. Would you agree? Hector and Vector sounds better than Vector and Hector? It's it's the alphabetical thing, I guess. Hector should or, be or the maybe, old one. Yeah, it should be, yeah. <laughs> Driving me nuts. Every time they do that, it's like, no, no, he's that one. No, he... <clears throat> right. Young one, Hector. Got it. Uh, actually, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to deviate to Hector and Vector for a few minutes. Oh, should we oh, just shoot them? Are they Cylons in the making? They're robots, but they're completely ridiculous, humanized, emotional. I want a woman. Couldn't you make me a woman, Dad? There weren't enough make, parts. There weren't enough parts, and don't you think I would have made one for me first? Whoa! What are you going to do with a woman robot anyway? <laughs> have you got robot bits? I mean, what, what was that all about? I don't know. <laughs> Except that it was ridiculously stupid, and then they do that lovely little cute number that they've done, you know, at you know the the theater and on Terra, and all I could think of is that that must have been p- 
purely for the benefit of Ray Bolger and Bobby Vance, since they're both, you know, dancers. Vaude- yeah. Well, well, Ray Bolger was was an old vaudevillian. Yeah. You know, but Bobby Vance and the Tin Man. Yeah. No, he was no, Scarecrow. He's, he's a Scarecrow. Okay, sorry. But still, but but you're right. And and then Bobby Van, uh, but he, he was a, a modern day for its time. He was a hooker. Um, yeah. Song it. Yeah, exactly. So I get the sense that that the whole thing was done for their benefit. And 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 I, as I was watching it, all I could think of is wow. You know, and I'm I'm gonna I, I'm not gonna diverge a little bit here. So then we'll get back to the, the the ridiculousness of those two. But as I watched that musical number, I just have to say, if that is the sort of entertainment that is highly regarded on Terra, then all I can say is, and I quote, on second thought, let's not go to Terra. It is a silly place. place. Yes. Thank you very much. It's very vaudeville. That's right. It's like wow, that's a. It's a vaudeville act. It's a vaudeville act. It's a vaudeville act. But you know, now here's here's what I think happened. You know, maybe maybe it was maybe it was a vanity piece for Bobby Van and, and Ray Bolger. But but frankly, it wasn't very good. No, it was terrible. They are so much better than that. They could do. So, I know Bobby Van can. Right? Well, so could Ray Bolger when Bolger he was younger. In his sure. Time, yeah, I mean, I don't know about now. And I think he kind of like you know liked doing more of the comical kind of stuff. Uh, but it wasn't a very good comical no, kind of stuff. That it was a bad act. And so you you have to ask yourself, where did this come from? Did it come from the fact that they said, "Well, we'll be in the show if we get to do a song and dance," which seems like an odd bit of casting, unless they always planned to do a song and dance. But why would they plan to do a song and dance? So therefore, Bobby Van and Ray Bolger may have been stunt casting, or maybe, maybe the guy who does the choreography on Battlestar Galactica. It was like he took this job because you, you've got Fred Astaire. Oh, 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 oh I'm going to get to write a song and dance for Fred Astaire. I'm so ha, 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 happy I'll take the job. I'll work for less than wage. I'll do the thing. Oh, I'm so happy. Oh, by surprise, the way, surprise. Astaire's retired from he dancing. Won't, he won't dance. You okay, we'll give you Ray Bolger. We'll give you Ray Bolger. We'll give you Ray Bolger. All right, I'll take it. He's not good, though. We'll get thrown Bobby Van. All right, I'll do, I'll do it. I'm not going to throw my heart into it. Um, More advanced than Silence? Hector and Vector? Yes. Wow. You know, considering some of the philosophical uh, conversations that we've had regarding the Cylons, that's a good question. More advanced than hmm, all the other Terran technology that we see. I mean, Hector and Vector are beyond Galactican levels. They can produce box. Uh, they can produce Muffet. That's true. Hector and Vector are stupid. Yeah, but Vector but light years ahead. Vector technically reproduced. Yeah, he created his own offspring. I don't think there's any kind of um, and they are android robotic uh, life. If you want to call it life, or you know, any kind of uh, robotic being, whatever you, whatever term you want to use, that the 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 people on the Galactica have the ability to create that could then turn around and create something in its own image. And and they you know and the Galactica has laws against these things, which is interesting that that Apollo and Starbuck weren't worried. You know, they have a deep seated distrust of machine intelligence, but but so okay, all of that could be programmed stupidity, right? You 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 could program. You could program the robots to be a little bit funny, to be a little non-threatening, to be kind of thing. But there is one scene in this that tells me that it is not faux emotion. That it that it is whatever the real equivalent of, you know, you have the long debate. Does Data actually have emotions because he wishes for things? But here, these robots 
truly have emotions. And, and the scene that shows it up is the fact that he can't tell Sarah her father is dead. Right. He's like, well, you know, um, let's avoid the subject because he's uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. He does not only is he uncomfortable, I think he doesn't want to cause her pain. No, he doesn't. So there is So he some... takes the worst possible way and he goes out and says, There he is, planted in the ground. Like, okay, maybe not the best plan B, but but yeah. Yeah, there's there's no there's no hint here that these are anything short of two guys in white makeup with, with cone heads. But Right. Or spaceballs heads. Um deeply, deeply disturbing breed in my mind and i don't like them I, no i hate to I, say no, it, well, it it was it was pathetically comical and and when i say pathetically comical i'm not being kind i mean it was bad it, it was just it was comedy at, at at its at its worst form i mean it's it uh I, i'm not i'm not the biggest fan of some slapstick i mean there's some slapstick that i think is hilarious but there's there's some that i think is just just dreadfully bad and uh some physical comedy that i think is just terrible and and i hate I've never been a, a, a fan of, the, of this particular brand where they have to be goofballs like that. Mm. Yeah. I, I don't care for that. Okay. Turn our attention here. Try to keep this podcast shorter than the actual... Uh, the actual episode uh, itself? The actual episode itself. Yeah, because we've got to uh, talk about the Eastern Alliance. Eastern Alliance and their submarine. And, uh, and the but... fact that they look like uh, Third Reich. <laughs> Man, do they look like the Germans. <laughs> They even talk like it. Yeah, and soon commandant. <laughs> and, the, and and he's so Machiavellian. And it's Lloyd Wagner. <laughs> yeah. It's like, who do we need to hire to get a Nazi? Uh, Nazis, 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 Lloyd Wagner. <laughs> mm. <laughs> I, I really like Lloyd Wagner. He was great in everything he ever did. Um, even here, he's given a kind of silly bit, but I mean, he plays it. He plays it the best way he knows how. He plays it just like a Nazi. You know, we both and, have and, our sides. We yeah, both and, disagree philosophically, but you understand we have to do these things. I, <laughs> you, you all, I almost expected to hear him say, and you will yeah. enjoy it. Yeah. <laughs> it. It was, and it's funny that the Eastern Alliance ship is a submarine. Yeah, basically. Um <laughs> it looks like a sub. They act like a sub. It's it 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 was all it's a sub in space. Know, they really don't get much to do in this episode, and uh, they just mostly spend their time kind of you know that scene in in Monty Python and the Holy Grail where uh, at Swamp Castle mm-hmm. where Sir I think it's Lancelot. Yeah, I think it's Sir Lancelot. Who comes in charging to the rescue? Comes charging to the yeah, rescue, and they have that yeah. scene where he's like, and the guards. Oh, and it's just he, he's yeah. It, they're just recycling the same little bit of running, you know, of ten feet or something like that. And I kind of there. felt like that's what the Eastern Alliance was doing throughout this entire episode. It sort of was, wasn't it? Yeah, they were just they were killing some time. It's like, ooh, here come the big baddies. Here come the big baddies. The big baddies are coming. Ooh, thread. Here comes the big bad. Comes oh my god, they're here. <laughs> oh, and we're just gonna have two guys jump off the roof, knock them out, pump through the door, point a gun at them, and problem solved. You guys are crap Nazis. <laughs> like, I expect our Nazis to be it, put up a good fight because they may be evil and have skulls on their caps and stuff but they could fight you know and you guys are idiots yeah well when the eastern alliance gets hold of you you'll be in big trouble you have never seen a battle star have you <laughs> and and it got i mean granted most of them i mean okay so yeah commandant 
uh, was it coming up Come. lighter? I think, think yeah, I think it was lighter. Yeah. That sounds um, right. I mean, at least nice he German had, name. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, at least it, it, his accent was very soft. But you, the I, I'm going to say it's I think it's the pilot. Yeah. Of of the ship. I mean, it was a yeah. blatant German accent. Wow. And I thought this. It, it, it was like this, what? What am I supposed to take away from this? Okay, but wait a minute. Now, Terra might be Earth. In which case, the Eastern Alliance is probably East Germany. Russia, Russia, and all that stuff. Soviet I mean, bloc, literally. Well, that know, was what they were trying to achieve. I mean, that that's that is, I think, what they were trying to get the audience to believe, right? And I, you know, in a way, it's it. And this is what I do like about it. It's the fact. Oh, we've thrown you a little curveball, <clears throat> Terra. Well, that is a word for Earth. Um, and they talk minutes and seconds, and so maybe this is Earth. But instead, we never get that answer. No, we don't. And Starbuck goes into the city. He he goes with Hector. We want to look around. Maybe there's some records. Maybe we could find out some stuff. There's a huge city. Oh, you wanted to go to the archive? No, you can't go to the archive. It's where there's no air. There's already no air. But yet he's in there for hours, apparently. <laughs> but it got plenty of strength to bang a pipe. But but isn't it lucky that somewhere down the line, the one neighbor who survived. Cowhand oh, yeah. happens to used to be the guy that worked down in this building. Yeah, that's and, convenient. And so they can cut down that hour's journey to get back out of the building. It's just like, wh- why? <laughs> like, why? Why did we? Because oh. this is ABC's prime time 1979 television. No. <clears throat> so. Let's see. I think the last major threat. Oh, well, so they, they capture the because the Vipers are destroyed. More on that in a few moments. Um, they take the Eastern Alliance cruiser and they fly it back to the Galactica, which must be close enough. Well, so how do they find the Galactica? How, how do they? Uh, mm, good question. How, how long would it take the Eastern Alliance ship? I mean, I guess it can't take too terribly long because the, the Ranger they 3 were, got there. But so we also know that when uh, when uh, Commandant Commandant Lighthouse uh, ordered Starspeed, yeah, he ordered Starspeed, and he was told, you know, that they were going to nearly exhaust their fuel by doing that. And he says, you know, I don't care. Okay, uh, but, but I, I almost expect to hear Colonel Clank on that, yeah. or, or, or 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 Sergeant Hochstetter. I I I was thinking Hochstetter, but yeah, yeah. But okay, so the the one thing about that we can we can cut them a break is that we don't know where that cruiser was. It's coming in from another angle. It could have been a long, long, long way away in another direction. It could have even been the opposite gal- direction of the Galactica. They're just following up on a report of a spacecraft that had left Lunar Seven was on its way to Paradine. So it wasn't it wasn't anywhere in their patrol route, and it wasn't anywhere that they were willing to go. And for that ship, he didn't care. He said, well, you know, we'll catch it later on our patrol. So somewhere it was, it was a ways away from that ship. So they burned up star speed to get there. They burned up their glass. But but if Ranger 3 wasn't very far away from Paradine, which it couldn't have been, because... It didn't take them long to get there. It didn't take them long to get there. Then the Galactica is not far away from Paradine. That's true. Because I doubt very much that Ranger 3 flew faster than the Galactica, oh, even with its ragtag fleet. So No, it couldn't have. So it's okay. So that 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 is fairly good. I, did, I really didn't have a problem with the fact that it was able to find the Galactica, I, it was just a little observation about how the ship was nearly out of fuel. Yeah. So they get their first taste of a battle star and see a giant, the giant ship in that, that line where he says, we are the most technologically advanced battle fleet in, in the galaxy. In the galaxy. And, and Starbucks like, and, or is it Apollo? <laughs> yeah, bite me. It's like, yeah, that's, 
he say? Oh, yeah, I believe it. That's what's so encouraging. <laughs> like, it was a good line on his part. So the, the last piece of this equation is that uh, Michael and Sarah are not a couple. Um, oh, this bothered me so much. I This is definitely the time filler. But so Michael and Sarah are not a couple. Michael was a, basically a hired hand who was, who was engaged by Sarah's father to help Sarah escape with her kids. And then as payment for that, Michael gets to escape too with his daughter. So they're not a couple. And now they've landed on this planet. And I, I almost feel like Sarah thought that the deal was that she has to shack up with him, right? Mm. I kind of I got that feeling that that was part of the deal. And now that she's here and her father's dead, I'm not sure I can deal with that. Like, you, you must have been thinking it, or you wouldn't have come to that, well, now I'm not so sure about this. Whole right, thing. it has to have been on her mind. And, uh, but you see, she can't. She can't love a man who, who loves him some technology. <sighs> You see, she's a Luddite. Yeah. It's all that tech. Her name is her name is Sarah um, Sarah Mary Shelley. Uh, yes, I say Sarah Shelley. Yeah. And uh, all that technology just has led to all this bad stuff, and it's. And I'm going to apologize for it. Damn it. Yeah. And then and and Michael is like, surely you realize it's not the technology; it's what we do with it. That's the problem, mm-hmm. which is very, very, you know, a very uh, salient point on his part. Um, but so she decides to well first off she seems to have no problem with hector and vector no who are about as technology as it gets but she won't let the kids see pictures of tara nope because i wouldn't want them to see this 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 place but she couldn't put them to bed and let apollo and starbuck and cassiopeia see pictures of tara Mm. Uh, or you know she said i don't want this here apollo you take the laser disc and take it back with you or or anything. And then, of course, you know, they have the archive, which they get nothing out of the archive. Right. But for crying out loud, couldn't they bring the fleet over to the planet and go down and get the stuff out of the archive? But I'm willing to bet we never see Paradine again. Probably not. Good person. Anyway, she uh, she destroys the Vipers so that, uh, Apollo, that Apollo has, to, has stay. to stay. Because, you know, I don't know if I can shack up with Michael, but uh, I'm really grooving your colonial high-tech... Uh, lifestyle you got going there um i've seen the way you look at me i could not believe that line i mean i could sort no. of believe i could sort of believe that line in the context of 1979 but today it's today, like, no way oh my you have such a i don't know i mean i don't know i don't even know what that is is that uh low self-esteem or is that high self-esteem I, you know you're looking at me like i'm a piece of meat and i'm feeling it or mm-hmm. of course you're looking at me like that because I am all that. I, I well the, the thing that that bothered me out of the way that whole thing played out is in order for Apollo to get out from underneath Sarah's um, thumb, shall we say, he's got to play Cassiopeia as you know, as, you know, stay close to Michael. Yeah, Be why did he do that? Because he you know, it's like okay, so what are you trying to say? You know, you you're you're are you trying to say that? Women are all about jealousy. Was that what he was trying to do? I yes, he was. Out, I couldn't figure out what the heck he was that trying was to do with that. It was all about making Sarah jealous. I totally didn't get that. I th- I thought he somehow took Sarah's words about you know we can't trust people like Michael, and mm-hmm. so he decides to send Cassiopeia no. to to do and and I well now that you mention it, I can kind of see it. I didn't see that it worked. 
No, well, they didn't play. It didn't play off. But there's one scene where uh, I think Michael is going to show Cassiopeia something I don't recall, and she takes his arm. Want me to show you how to milk the cows? Something like that. And Cassiopeia takes yeah. Michael's arm, and then they do a cut to Sarah. She's watching this out the window, and now she looks a little disgusted. It's like, okay, I don't like Michael, but that does not give you the right to like him. That's what they're saying, you know, and that is a really negative generalization. Yeah, I suppose. I, I suppose. I, I wish he had told Cassiopeia that, you know, it, it, that would have explained it. I mean, they had to have the whole classroom thing seen to explain suspended animation to us or the possibility of cross-contamination. But Apollo couldn't say, look, stay close to Michael. I want to try to make Sarah jealous. Because Cassiopeia knows how to make a woman jealous if she wanted to. Oh, God, to with she Michael. could, yeah. She's, she's a pro. Quite. Mm. Literally. Hey, she's a socialator. What? Literally, she could do that job. <clears throat> um, here's another piece that doesn't pay out. Uh, Sarah escapes out the window. Oh, yeah. The kids follow her. Mm -hmm. She destroys the Viper. They come back. Then the kids are sitting on the stairs, and Apollo is going to go beat up the Morlands for, for destroying his ship. The kids know that the Morlands didn't do it. They're clearly disturbed by the idea of that happening because they know it wasn't Morland's because they know it was Sarah. And yet, and yet they cover for her and they try. Well, what if it wasn't the Morland's that did it? Well, it had had to be. We caught them on a ship and they're the only ones around. So no, it had to be the Morland's. This is the point to say Sarah did it. Mm, yeah, it would be. And so, but at least Sarah fesses up to it. And she says, yeah, don't, don't go beat up the Morlands. I did it. I wanted you to stay. I've seen the way you look at me. And, I, you know, kind of the whole thing. And all we get is a little scene later on where the kids go, well, at least she told the truth. Yeah. Why did we do that? Well, <clears throat> why did we have that? That didn't accomplish or do anything or or lead to anything. It didn't It have, have any plot complication whatsoever. They, they didn't put any pressure Killer. on Sarah. Yeah. Killer. I mean, it just That's all it was. It just, it was just filler. It didn't. It didn't go anywhere, and it it just felt like something was missing. I like it was supposed to go somewhere, and it and it and it didn't. Just so, to further prove Sarah's attraction to Apollo and hoping that he would stay, and we, we've seen that played out before with uh, the episode with Red Eye. So. It's that's nothing new, but at least with that episode, it, it it was told in a slightly smarter manner than what we were given here. And I will give Apollo this: I've seen the way you look at me. You could you could be staying. I said, well, I don't know you. I'd have to get to know you first before I could say. I mean, good answer, Apollo. Good. I mean, it is. I mean, I'm, I'm not being sarcastic. Right? Be nice. He's, the he's, it's the truth. It's like I don't. I'm not Starbuck. I'm not the guy that hops on every space babe that throws herself at me. Yeah. I'm looking for somebody that I got a connection with. And good good on him again. I mean, apart from his high-handed attitude in the first part of this episode, Apollo is always the voice of... Uh, voice uh, of morality, morality and reason, in this, yeah. In this show. Um, I don't know that I have anything else with regards to the episode. Um... I'm looking at my notes. I really don't. Oh, one little thing that just really kind of floored me that I just, I just didn't understand what the point of that all was. Um, and, and maybe this was totally accidental. But when Vector is taking Apollo to the field where the uh, the landing field where the Vipers are, 
Yes. And what is Vector? He's crashing into all those containers, and you hear Apollo yelling at him, and you're like, do you know how to drive? And, and all I could think of was, was that deliberate? And why? <laughs> uh, it's a darn good question. I have a feeling that was purely accidental, but they, but poor Ray Bolger just could not drive that thing to save his life. Those vehicles, you know, that they make for these shows are notoriously, uh, they're not friendly, difficult to steer. You know, they're, they're made for their looks, not so it's possible. It would depend whether or not that's a dubbed over line or not. And I don't know. I think it was, it it felt like a voiceover. Yeah. Yeah, It felt like a voiceover line. So I'm, I was thinking, you know, Ray Bolger could just not control it. And he was crashing into it. And, and the, the, the director and producers are like, oh, sod this. We'll just keep the footage and we'll add a line in there. Yeah, it could be. It could be. I have one. All right, well, go ahead. Any, anything last? Uh, nope. That's okay. pr- pretty much it. I have one more question that just occurred to me. So Cassiopeia came in on an airless ship. Starbuck and Apollo came in on their individual fighters. Presumably, when they're done with their mission, Starbuck and Apollo are going to get back into their one-seat single fighter, fighter pilots, fighters, and fly back to the Galactica. How does Cassiopeia get off the planet if they don't capture an Eastern Alliance destroyer? Well, it's a good thing they did in this case, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> yes, it is, because I... The only thing I can guess is that they, okay, well, we just have to haul butt back to the Galactica and then grab another ship so we can pick her up. We'll come back with a shuttle. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Meanwhile, and, and still the shuttle cozy up to Michael. And still, the shuttle should come back to Paradine because they need to go down in those archives and yeah. get the information. And yet, you know, they're not going to do it. Nope. Not in the slightest. <sighs> All right. Okay. Um... Do we know what the next episode is off the top of our heads? Uh, I just saw it last night, and I don't remember the name of it. Uh, nope, don't remember. <laughs> I don't think it's... It's not the last episode. No! Oh, no, not by any means. No, it isn't. Um, I'm looking it up right now if I could find the doggone thing. It would be Baltar's Escape. Oh, yes, Baltar's Escape. Exactly. Ben, thank you for joining me. Oh, it was so much fun. And listeners, I hope you'll join us all again next time on Fusion Patrol. Cheers! Fusion Patrol is a Lone Locust production. Like us? Please consider becoming our sponsor at patreon.com slash fusion patrol. We'd really appreciate it if you could leave us a review on iTunes. Stop by and visit us at our website, fusionpatrol.com. Search for us on Facebook under Fusion Patrol. Check out our Twitter handle at Fusion Patrol, or just send us an email at feedback at fusionpatrol.com. Please come join the conversation. Our music is Fight the Future by Amberwolf. <laughs>